Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Changing Faith Podcast. I am Michael Hidalgo, and I'm thrilled that you're here with us today. This podcast is a place where we're able to hear from others, where we're able to learn together what a next step might look like for all of us, for you and for me. And today's guest is someone whose story may well resonate with many of us, not only because of everything that his story entails, but also because of how he approaches the world that we live in and those who live in it. And so I'm thrilled this morning to welcome Ryan Taylor. Ryan, welcome to the Changing Faith Podcast. Well, thanks for having me, Michael. Big honor. Ryan is a neighbor, actually just a couple blocks away from where we're sitting right now, which is one of our church buildings here in Denver. And we've known each other for seven years, somewhere in that neighborhood. Sounds about right. And uh, Ryan is the director at Access and the co-director at Network Coffee House. And it's a place that's a gathering place and a safe place for our friends in the homeless community. So Ryan, tell us a little bit more about the work that you do with both Access and Network. Sure. Well, Network is a hospitality house for the chronically homeless and mentally ill. And it was started in actually 1978 by a guy named John Hicks. And he got a building in 1982. It was located over on 13th Avenue. And then in 1990, they moved to 14th and Pearl, just down the street from you guys. And it was started as, like I, I call it a hospitality house. It's a coffee house for chronically homeless, mentally ill, really chronically lonely folks. Mm. So anybody and everybody can walk in through that door. And the unique thing about Network is we do not really offer much in terms of clothing or food or resources. What we offer is relationship. And so we look other people in the eye, we get to know their name, and we get to know their story. And ideally, there's a friendship that's developed there. And why, why is that important? <laughs> I mean, it's, it sounds like a funny question, but typically my experience has been when someone encounters, like the average person, like me, I encounter someone uh, who's experiencing homelessness and it's, what do you need? And I see myself as like a kind of benefactor. I can provide something. What I hear you saying is, we're just going to hang out and actually get to know each other and truly become friends. What, why is that an important piece? Well, in psychological language, and our our founder, John Hicks, was a psychotherapist for many years. And in psychological language, there's this theory of attachment or detachment. So many people who are homeless or have some sort of severe um, mental illness are just detached. Um, Many people are just detached from um, resources. They're detached from family. We're having some technical difficulties. The microphone stand I'm using just keeps going to sleep on me. So we're going to do an adjustment (laughs) while Ryan keeps talking. It's so great. Oh my goodness. Okay. We're we're back. We're good. Look at this. That I just MacGyvered this thing without any jokes about. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. Okay. So we were back on track. (laughs) Talking about detachment. Oh, that's so good. Um, attachment, detachment. So, yeah, so many folks are just detached from relationship. And the, the frontline um, sense of relationship to any sort of rehabilitation would be a sense of attachment, basic attachment. So that's eye contact. That's um, just a sense of friendship to where you would get to the point to where you would start to reveal what your basic and actual needs are. So then we, maybe we could find an avenue for help, but we can't, 
we can't get there unless there's a sense of basic trust and attachment. Right. Right. That makes sense. So instead of assuming what the needs are, you're actually trusting these men and women to say, no, this is what my needs are. And that's the point where you begin to forge a relationship and move forward. Yes. And I'd say that's what I need too. I'm, I'm looking for basic levels of attachment in yeah. order to, to grow in friendship and relationship. It's how I get to know myself better. I mean, this is very, um, this basic, basic fundamental elements of, of friendship. Yeah. We just slowly get to know one another and, and build a sense of trust and, and then you get to know what my needs are. So was this work that you, like, did you grow up thinking, like, this is what I want to do. I want to move to a city. I want to live in a city and work in, in a gritty neighborhood and work with men and women in homelessness. What was, what was your path, your perceived path? Well, when I was younger, I mean, I went to college with an elementary education degree. and then toward- Did you really? Yeah. Ryan, by the way, is 6'6". Six, six, is that right? I'm 6'6". Six, six. <laughs> So you can imagine him working with second and third graders. Well, and the idea was I went to college to play basketball. So I wanted to play bat. I wanted to do your sort of social studies teacher, basketball coach gig. Nice. Uh, that was that was the path. But there's always been this, this allure um, or this interest in the work of the church, the work of ministry, um, the work of walking with people. So towards the tail end of college is when I first started to get a sense or a glimpse of, of what life, uh, a life of people helping could look like. Yeah. Um, and then went to seminary, uh, about two years after I graduated from, from college. So maybe start where you are now and work backward through some of the things that were like a highlight for you, or maybe a pivotal moment that began to lead you toward working at, at network and at access. Okay. Um, well, let's see. What if, uh, do you mind if I start from like 14 years ago? That's when we moved out to Denver? No, that's fine. Okay. I was trying to go Quentin Tarantino, like tell the story. Yeah, I know. Backward. Momento. <laughs> or Chris Nolan. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's see. So, you know, we just had this sort of general idea that Ryan would go to seminary. There was this interest in, and I didn't have much imagination beyond pulpit pastoring, you know, pulpit preaching ministry. And uh, so 14 years ago, it was August of 2003 that my wife and I moved out to Denver to go to seminary. We just thought that was the sort of logical next step in in this trajectory. And um, the move to Denver was uh, eye-opening for us in so many ways, because I think we we both grew up um, in the Midwest and somewhat in an an isolated uh, Christian environment. So moving to Denver, I got this job at Starbucks, which is what so many of us do um, during seminary. And I was uh, very obviously the only individual with a, with a Christian spiritual orientation in that, in that Starbucks. And so um, everybody kind of made that known. They'd make fun of me, but I'd also end up being the priest and hear all these confessions and, <laughs> and, uh, and all these crises. They'd, they'd come to, to Ryan because Ryan should have the answer. Um, so that was an eye-opening experience. And then I think more and more, as we moved into a neighborhood, uh, which is the neighborhood that we're currently in, um, and started getting involved in that neighborhood 
um, we started getting involved in the middle school down the street from us. My wife uh, uh, got involved on the school board, and I started coaching girls basketball at that middle school. Well, that middle school is something like 90% uh, reduced cost lunch. It's an English language acquisition school. Okay. And and so it's it's this middle school within a, a, a middle to upper middle class neighborhood, but it's full of uh, people below the poverty line. And so for our listeners who may not be familiar, what is the free and reduced lunch program that you refer to? Uh, it is kind of a, a subsidized program for families who uh, don't meet a certain income level. Okay. And so they're able to um, to purchase lunches at a, at a lower cost or, or more for free. Yep. So, um, so we started getting involved there and started seeing our neighborhood um, differently and started inviting other people in our neighborhood to get involved at that school. And so that was about a dozen years ago. I would say a, a, a real pivotal point in my journey was 10 years ago in 2007, I was invited to go to New Orleans, uh, which would be post-Katrina. Katrina happened in the fall of 2005. This would have been January of 2007 mm-hmm. that I took somebody up on the invitation uh, to to go to New Orleans. And uh, we we gutted a house down there for to, to do some recovery work. We we did we gutted one house, and then we we toured the neighborhood. This was my first time ever in New Orleans, and this was uh, my experience of having my eyes opened. It was a dizzying experience in terms of seeing the systemic uh, racism, the systemic prejudice, um, the the sort of segregated neighborhoods um, of New Orleans. And um, I was shook. I remember that first night uh, of dropping down there and touring the Ninth Ward and, and doing some work on a woman's house uh, but touring the Ninth Ward and then being let off on the end of Bourbon Street and walking down Bourbon Street mm. and then laying in my hotel room that night and just looking up in the, at the ceiling and my world was just spinning. I felt like I was in a third world environment and yet this was like a two-hour plane ride from Denver. Yeah. Um, and so this, it, there was a bit of a sense that my, my world might not ever be the same after yeah. today. Um. It was around that time that I just started feeling that, you know, if the gospel, what we've called the gospel, uh, if, if, if the good news isn't good news to the poorest of the poor, then it's not good news. Mm. Um, and so that began to shape the way I see um, our, our, our Christian spirituality. Yeah. If, the, if the gospel isn't good news to the, to the most uh, the folks beyond that, the, the sphere of of resources and opportunity, and it's simply not good news. I ended up making three other trips, so four trips total in 2007 down to New Orleans. And so my wife and I, by the end of that year, we were flirting with the idea of moving down there and making a making a home in New Orleans. Until uh, we just kind of said, I, I don't really know my own backyard in Denver as well as I could. And so that's when I began to explore um, more the uh, urban neighborhoods in Denver, as well as um, nonprofit ministries. That's when I began a relationship with uh, folks at Mile High Ministries and Scott Dewey and Jeff Johnson, some really good friends of mine now. And uh, so I began to explore urban Denver at that time. It was about a year into that exploration process that somebody connected me with 
a guy named John Hicks <laughs> at Network Coffee House. And, and John's been doing this how long? 78, you said? 78, so that's going on 40 years. 40 years yeah. next year. That's unbelievable. Yeah. So John formerly retired two years ago from Network, and uh, he's about to retire from the little church that meets there. But yeah, 40 years, it, it is incredible. And I, I kind of pride myself on knowing what's going on in Denver. But here was this little ministry that I had never heard of located on the corner down the street from where we're sitting right now. And I just thought, how have I never heard of this place before? It was wonderful. Uh, so John needed a guy to, um, to lead the Wednesday night uh, coffee house there. And so I took him up on that offer. And that was in 2008, uh, 2009. And uh, so I've been doing that ever since at network wow. and uh, and that's made a, a, you know a very large uh, difference in my life it's it's very much shaped who i am today and many of the the relationships many of the the issues that i care about these days have been shaped by my relationships um, that i've built at network yeah you 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 use the term your eyes when you were talking about being in new orleans mm -hmm. your eyes were opened to systemic racism, which suggests that it's not like it suddenly appeared or it ne had never been a problem, but that your awareness of it kind of all of a sudden hit you in, in the face. Because this idea of eyes opening means, oh, it's been there the whole time, but my eyes have been closed. And now you're talking about the issues you care about or through the relationships. And so I'm curious because what I hear you saying is your the way you look at the world has changed, not because people have thrown statistics at you, but because you've, you've really kind of left house and home. You've gone to difficult places. You've experienced things. Can you talk a little bit about that, how that, because what, we're, what I've heard so far is everything's been you taking a risk, you taking a leap, you going out there and doing something that maybe you would not otherwise have done. Yeah, I mean, I look at where I'm at today and I just say it's, it is entirely the product of my relationships and many of those, um, I did not, I don't feel like I intentionally sought out. I just sort of stumbled into them and my curiosity just took me further and further into those relationships. And, uh, I mean, relationships are the, uh, are, are what leads us to empathy Yeah. and caring for another person. Your, your life starts to get wrapped around another life because of relationship which is a great next step. So on the Changing Faith podcast, we talk about this is about our listeners' next step. And so there's, I think about my own life and how the direction of my life changed when I moved back to Grand Rapids after college, was working at a factory, and I began to hang out with the homeless community in Grand Rapids. Um, and so it is relationships. And so maybe you're listening, you're thinking, what's my next step? And it's beginning to ask questions of, do I have people in my life, genuine friendships in my life with people who are in a different economic reality, people of, um, who, uh, of different race, people of different religion, uh, or the people that we don't know how to relate to. It's just taking that step of entering relationship. Yes. And I don't know how to communicate to people that don't know me just how um, how much of an expert I am not. Uh, it, it, it's so many things. But We're going to do that in the next episode when you're not here. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about that. Yeah. Well, you know, when I started at Network, I was scared to death. I, I mean, I, I, 
you know, it's embarrassing to talk about how I was scared of these people. I literally would puff my chest out so that nobody would mess with me. And, and, and I didn't know, I didn't know what I was doing, but there was, there was, um, a man named Vince and his partner, Sharon, who grew up, uh, on the Pine Ridge Lakota reservation. Okay. And Vince came to me and he had an affinity for me. We just kind of had this natural, uh, a friendship that began to uh, to develop this natural attraction to one another, and and Vince said, you know, Ryan, I'd like for you to come down and see where where we live. I'd like you to come visit our home, and uh, I took him up on that. So I went down on a Saturday morning. That home ended up being uh, underneath a bridge, and so I went to Starbucks and I grabbed one of those coffee traveler thingies and and went down underneath the bridge and got to know this community of people that were living underneath the bridges, but. That relationship with Vince um, eventually led me to making a trip up to Pine Ridge Lakota Reservation, which was a very, uh, you know, another one of those eye-opening experiences. But again, it, it started from a relationship. Yeah. Uh, but that uh, spending a weekend at Pine Ridge, you know, furthered my my understanding, my education, the way that I think. Um, holistically, I mean, spiritually, uh, yeah. and how I relate, uh, to, to my neighbors here. Um, yeah, I could talk more about Pine Ridge and, and its impact on me. Um, and, it, but this is now something, at least this is what I've experienced is what I see you doing is inviting people into those places that are uncomfortable, uh, places that people might call scary and giving them an experience, but then walking with them through that experience. And so you took our staff here at Denver Community Church years ago uh, through an urban immersion, I think is what I heard it called. Um, and I remember you you asked me to stand at a street corner holding a sign asking for money for food. And everything in me resisted, and I wanted to believe it was for really noble reasons. Like, this is insulting. I don't, you know. I, I don't think people are going to look at me and think that I'm homeless. I had all these, and it sounded noble, but in my head and heart, it was, it was fear. It was ego. Um, but talk a little bit about access, the way you invite people into this experience to confront their own fears and biases and everything else. Yeah. You know, you know I have a deep spirituality of awkwardness. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, that is one of my, I feel like that's one of the keys to entering into these relationships is yes. to actually begin to value the, the nervousness, the awkwardness, the yeah. sense of humiliation, that that's, that's often, um, a very clear sign of invitation. Uh, I mean, sometimes that can be a sign of, I need to go the other direction just for safety reasons. Yeah. But, but so many of the things that we feel, um, unsafe by or nervous by is just simply because it's not in our wheelhouse. We're not accustomed to it. We yeah. didn't grow up that way. Um, it's, it's a different language. And so, uh, I'm going to be caught, uh, not feeling competent, uh, in this area and, and none of us want to do that. Right. Um, so this, the spirituality of awkwardness, um, is yeah, like, like holding a sign on the street corner. That's something I've done with many people now over the years, probably it's probably been something like seven years ago. I still have that sign in my office oh, yeah. to remind me of not only how I felt, but what it is like for our friends that we see on street corners that so often you just want to ignore. Yeah. 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 yeah so about seven years ago, I designed this, uh, this walk 
around the network neighborhood, around the neighborhood that we're in right now. Uh, just for what you said, just to, to give us a sense of uh, experience and exposure for this this life that that we're not accustomed to. And so, um, over the, when I first started at Network, about six months into my my work there at Network, I began inviting friends down um, because I wanted them to meet these these other friends, these other relationships that I, that uh, I was developing that that was sh- so shaping my life. So. Invited friends down. We would go up and um, up into the chapel, which is the second floor of that house. After the shift was over, after we would have this three-hour experience of uh, you know, sort of hosting this hospitality room, um, we would then just go talk about it. And we would sometimes we would take communion together. We would debrief the evening that we had, um, and sometimes we would go through a chunk of scripture and to say how. How does this change? How, how, do, how does it change the way that we're looking at this text? Uh, maybe one that we've been familiar with our entire life. How does it change in light of these new relationships that we're developing with people that we thought were so much, uh, we thought were so unlike us? Um, how is the text changing in our eyes? And so uh, that kind of led me to the saying, man, if I could do something like this full time, if, if I could be an inviter and a welcomer, uh, of people into these types of environments, and then walk with them um, pastorally as a as a bit of a spiritual director through this experience. Then that's that's what I would want to do with yeah. my life. And so that was the the origins of this ministry called Access that I began about seven years ago, which which is an affiliate ministry underneath Mile High Ministries. Um, but that was the motivation for that is to walk with people as as they're beginning to to also feel the awkwardness and take the risk, um, through these relationships. Yeah. And one of the things, I mean, we, we've gone through it. I've gone through access. Uh, I don't know if I say go through it. I've experienced it. And I know several people in our congregation, um, probably dozens in our congregation have spent time doing this walk. Um, Inc, our student ministry here, my, my kids have gone through it. Um, and I've never had people walk away feeling guilty. And I point this out because, there are some who do the work you do. Well, there's some who do any work who get really almost militant of this is the way forward. This is what I do. This is what you need to be doing. And for some, the encounter with homelessness and with poverty can, I mean, it can induce guilt. And sometimes, I mean, guilt's not necessarily bad. Uh, bad guilt is self-centered. I'm terrible. Healthy guilt is um, I, I need to act in a way to serve the other. Um, and, and so I bring that up because I've never experienced you exerting pressure on people. Like you have to, you have to come and do what I do. Um, but you're always a welcoming presence to people. Like I, I don't, I truly don't know anyone, um, who, when your name comes up, rolls their eyes, but there's a, I mean, there's a welcoming presence. And so I bring that up because what is it about, um, all the experiences you've had being raised in the Midwest, having these experiences of systemic racism, and seeing it lived out in front of you in New Orleans, doing the work you're doing, how is it that you can invite people in without that uh, preachy, guilt-driven, shame-driven kind of spirituality that so many of us grew up with in our spiritual traditions? Well, uh, it makes me very happy that you (laughs) see me uh, in that light. I don't know, Michael. I mean, we're only as strong as the strength of our relationships. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, what's going to happen if... Um, 
I can't make somebody else feel guilty if if I'm still struggling through these these same um, elements that the rest of us are. I guess I just don't see myself as an expert or ad- advancing too much yeah. in this way of love uh, with our neighbor. Uh, I just I feel like a beginner every morning. Yeah. And so I I don't have a whole lot of leverage or weight to hold over anybody else um, as, as this great expert, you know, sitting in this chair. Um, but 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 why would I want to do that if, if if relationship is the key to this whole thing? Uh, yeah. We're 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 only as good as the strength of 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 our relationships, and so we're all we're all delicate, we're all pretty tender, and we're all walking through this life quite awkwardly. Yeah. And so we we need to take care of each other. Um. You know the the level of of loneliness and insecurity that we all carry is so immense um, that we need to be given grace for that. Uh, so many of our reactions and so many of the fronts that we put up and our defense mechanisms, and we are just lonely yeah. and and hungry for relationship. And so it's just not going to do a lot of good uh, in this reactionary way of. of making somebody guilty, feel guilty, um, uh, for, for not jumping into this life yeah. uh, at the same intensity level that I have. And how that's a, I'm going to assume that's something that you've learned this idea of we're only as strong as our relationships, because that's not something that I hear broadcast in books, on blogs, Typically, it's what we need to believe or what we need to do, and you're saying, no, it's how we need to love. What, how, what was that process of learning like for you? Well, I just look at a handful, I mean, several relationships that I've had the privilege of, uh, you know, mentoring-type relationships with men and women that have taken relationships uh, very seriously. Um. And I think it just coincides with my understanding of, of the life of Jesus and this sense of, of self-emptying, this, mm. this sense of humility uh, that uh, the incarnation seemed to embody. Yeah. Um, and people were attracted to that. Um, and a, a, a movement exploded yeah. based upon this sort of humble, nonviolent, uh, non-reactionary way. Um, but then it's those that have walked before me that have um, taken an interest in me and not shamed me or guilted me. Um, I, I, I'm a product of, of those relationships and those that have walked before me. Yeah. yeah. And so now one of the questions I wanted to ask you is you and I come from a similar background. Um, and I shared a little bit about my background and growing up um, on our first episode um, but raised in the Midwest, raised in a very um, a, a conservative Christian environment, um, loving, caring people, but also a sheltered environment. Um, and yet when I speak with you about that, what I don't hear from you is you looking back with disdain. Um, and I'm sure that waxes and wanes, but I bring that up because so many people that I've spoken to recently, especially since the election uh, and now in the season that we're in, that just feels so divided. It's uh, looking back with disdain, looking at your roots and rolling your eyes. It's f you know f evangelicals. All, all this language um, and intensity that I see that doesn't seem 
to be always present in you. Can you talk a little bit about how, how do you look back um, with gratitude from, from the places that you came from? That are places you probably, it's not that you won't go back, but you can't go back because once you've seen, you can't unsee. Yeah, honestly, Michael, I don't, I don't feel like I'm responding very well to this very thing uh, at, this, <laughs> at this exact moment. I, yeah. I don't feel like I'm, I'm, uh, I'm holding these tensions as as well as I would like. Uh, but if I could come to this from a place of of what I'm learning about prayer, yeah, um, I've I've always been curious about what this thing is um, called prayer. And, and over the years, I've come to see that, that prayer is this middle way between opposites. And that, that middle way is the way of emptying myself of an agenda, of, of clinging, and truly coming before God with an attitude of surrender. And so I, in that, it's my prayer life that I feel like allows me to look back with compassion. Um, and with this desire for ongoing relationship with those who have nurtured and raised me and, 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 and really contributed to who I've become. I'm a product of those relationships, um, and I'm trying to make sense of that right now in many ways. Um, one thing that I, I feel like I need to be able to do in my work these days is to listen really well. What's that? is to listen. Okay. I'm slow. Oh, it's still morning. Like one of my favorite I jokes. So listening and, and displaying empathy to, to sincerely be able to place myself in another person's perspective in pain. Um, that's, that's very important in the work that I do. And we stink at listening because we're, we're very naturally, uh, we come into contact with another person. We care, carrying our own load. Um, so to listen, we have to drop our backpack and our burden, not ignore, not to ignore our own suffering, but to hold it in a non-anxious way in order to be truly present with somebody else. And so, uh, it, you know, in this last election, you, we had uh, Hillary call uh, the, the followers, the supporters of Trump deplorables. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that kind of killed the election for uh, for Hillary Clinton, I believe. And, and it's, so that's, that's, uh, that's not a way of listening to the other side and, and revealing empathy, um, for, for others. And so that's, that's what I hope to hold on to and to display. Um, but like I said, that's, that's an area that I feel like I could do much better at. Yeah. Um, thanks for that honesty. Instead of coming, like you already said, you're not the expert. Um, but I hope people can hear that and feel encouraged by it. Because, again, um, my experience of you has been, man, Ryan looks back with some tenderness on the world and what, that he grew up in. And people can hear now, it's, it's always moving forward. Sometimes it's moving backward, returning the, to hard places. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think so often we have this idea of, any kind of growth is always forward, mm-hmm. but it's, it's, it's what I hear you saying is it's not like yeah. right now, given multiple different circumstances, there's some difficulty there. Yeah. I also appreciated what you said about prayer. Um, 
Abraham Joshua Heschel says that prayer is the movement from self-centeredness to self-surrender. Hmm. And you talk about that it's the middle way. Um, I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about that because we were together some time ago and you were talking about binaries, that it's either this or that. It's a very either or world. And you talked about how we can actually move towards seeing the integration of all things. Um, and so help us understand what, what you're talking about of like this either or this binary world and what does integration look like when it comes to living life here? Yeah. yeah. Let me see if this addresses that question in a roundabout way. But when you were talking, I, I was thinking about my experience learning from a rabbi in recent years. And um, I want to offer just two uh, sort of key definitions that I feel like has given so much shape um, to what you're talking about. One would be uh, the, the, the shape of God, or when, when God first um, reveals God's name uh, in the story of Moses in the burning bush. And uh, Moses says, who do I say I encountered today? And he says, I am, or I am that I am. Well, that, the Hebrew for that, uh, can I sound really smart here and try to say it in, in Hebrew? Absolutely. Ahaya, asher, ahaya, which is, I was what I was, I am that I am, I will be what I will be. The rabbi that I studied with said, this is kind of God's declaration uh, uh, that I'm a verb. Yes. Uh, I'm not just a noun. I, I, I'm a verb. Um, and that whole noun thing is what got the, the Israelite people in the story of the Exodus in trouble as they tried to fashion something that they could see and touch and uh, something that was very tangible, that they could locate, yeah. that they could point at, that they could describe. God as a verb keeps us on our toes so much more. It's that sense of awkwardness that we don't know exactly what we're getting into. Um, and so, you know, these, these things that I, we were sort of said to be cautious with growing up in terms of God as energy or God as motion. Yeah. Well, if God is, is verb, then that's exactly God is love. Yeah. Well, what is love? How do we, how do we, uh, we have to start telling stories if we're going to start describing what love is. Yes. And that's, that's, uh, that has shaped my, my theology and my trajectory and so much of this uh, as much as anything. And then another key term would be uh, Jacob's transition to the name Israel. Mm-hmm. That transition happened as a result of a wrestling match. Yeah. It, it happened as a result of intense tension. As he's wrestling through the night, then there's this this name change to the name Israel. And Israel means one who wrestles with God and wrestles with people and holds on to both. Mm. So in that very definition is this sense of humility, this sense of surrender, this sense of openness. It's not a sense of apathy uh, because it's based in a wrestling match. This This transition... Uh, from from Jacob to Israel happened as a result of a fight. Yeah. Um, and so I think that informs so much of our current landscape, the, the drama that we're seeing day to day, the the, um, the struggles in our relationships. Uh, this is another, I can look back 
with compassion, um, seeing that our, our very tension and our very disagreement, our very conflict is the pathway. It's an awkward pathway, but it's, it is the pathway to intimacy. Mm-hmm. It's the pathway to relationship. And, and this, is, this is in the grounding of our theology. Uh, this, is, this, is, this is who Jesus was. What, what you're pushing into is this idea that um, with God as a verb, you've already talked a ton about relationships, it's moving toward people. It's moving toward, it's, it's, a, it's an action, Yes. not a belief system, not a set of propositions. I have 12 points, you have 10 points, and we're going to argue over those. Um, and in doing so, you can then, in your journey, looking back, you can do so without disdain because you realize we're all evolving, so to speak. We're all growing. We're all changing. But talk about the future then, because there's, you, you talk about our current climate right now is the result of things, you know, people look back and blame and they look back with disdain and anger and you did this to me. And, you know, President Obama's responsible for the division in this nation. No, it's actually President Trump who's responsible. But then, what seems to galvanize people in the moment out of that disdain is, and if we keep going in this direction, this is what's going to happen. And so, so many of us look not only look back with disdain, but we look forward with fear. But if God is not just, I was what I was, or even I am what I am, but I will be future, what I will be, this movement what what does that do to our future? As as what does it do for you as you look forward to the future when you think about God as as a verb? It allows me to be hopeful. Mm. If if there is this evolutionary sense to humanity, to creation, to theology, then that gives us an out. We're not stuck. Yeah. Um, it, it gives us a possibility. It gives us an opportunity. Um, I think we we have uh, uh, every right to be hopeful about our future um, it, if we see the shape of God as relationship and as motion, as movement, as verb. Yeah. Um, then then we just don't have to get stuck in in this. Uh, the stagnancy of, well, we, we had it all worked out. It's not worked out. Um, so let's all pack up and go home. Yeah, we're done. Yeah, we're done. Um, no, there, and, and so there, there is no, there is no difficult relationship, um, that is without the possibility for redemption and reconciliation there. If God is verb, then, then, uh, the possibilities are endless. Oh, yes. I like that. If God is a verb, the possibilities are endless. And if all things are the relationship piece, like you've talked a lot about, it's interesting when you think about this binary thing that I brought up and that we talked about uh, some time ago, relationships break down actually when we move toward the binary. So I think about my close friends or, or my wife, when, when it breaks down is when I have to be right or when I can't be wrong, or when I'm convinced they're wrong, um, or when I fear that they're right, or when I know that they're right and I don't want to go there with them. It becomes, that's when you get into this either or category. That's when fights happen. 
that's when I deteriorate into this like scared little boy who just is ready to fight. Um, but the moments that it transcends those binaries are when we say you're hurting, um, I'm scared. Um, we're struggling and we say we're going to move into those places. Like you said, the spirituality of awkwardness, which I love. And that's where life comes from. That's where growth comes from. Not by alienating the other, um, out of our own fear, but in actually moving toward together, which goes back to that. That's the verb. Relationships are actually acting and living, which are verbs. Well, you know, then it gets into sort of the, the brilliance of the theology of the Trinity. Yes. Um, and, and even pre-Christian times, I think there was a, this, some sort of value for threeness of sky, sea, and land. I mean, if you get into Celtic spirituality and even sort of early pagan indigenous people. Yeah, the three-tiered universe. Yeah, it's a three-tiered yeah. universe. And so when, when Christians speak of Father, Son, Spirit, or um, you know, however you want to talk about the Trinity, it, it gets us away from this these two, uh, you know, the, the stool does not stand on two legs. Right. Uh, it, 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 it needs three. Uh, so there's always, there's always a third way, um, again, that keeps us from being stuck yes. in, this, in this place of, um, of isolation, this, this stagnancy, um, to always know that there's, there's a third force out there that's generating something new. Behold, I make all things new. Mm. And so when two forces are opposed to one another, know that there is some sort of surprising thing out there that will enter into that if, if we can pause for a moment and, um, and allow that third force to enter in to create something completely different that we've yet to imagine. Yeah. And, and thinking for our listeners, next step, maybe someone's listening, thinking like, that sounds great. I don't know how to do that. And one of the things that was the most helpful for my wife and I, what I've learned is in almost every relationship, there's a kind of a doom loop of communication. Things go well for a few months, you hit some bumpy ground and then things go better. And then you hit the same patch in the road and you just can't seem to overcome that. And we had a couple, this was just a few years back, who was mentoring us, who said, what we see with you and, and your wife is when there's conflict, you're going at each other, which is, this is the binary, um, example you just talked about. They said, the question is not who's right or whose viewpoint needs to be heard, but what do you want? So it was this introduction of the third thing and said, instead of coming at each other, what if you stood side by side and the struggle became to move forward toward what you long for and desire. And truly that, that image of like locked arm in arm facing this big, almost darkness, like this un unknown place that contains what we want. That's introduction of the third, if you will. Mm -hmm. That was so healing for us uh, moving forward and continues to be an image that we hold on to of, no, we're moving forward. The struggle's not against each other. Yes. The struggle is life as we move toward this new place to which we're being called. Isn't that fascinating? Just, just such a little... A uh, small nuance in language, yeah, and, and in communication, yeah, can, can take us there, yeah. Uh, but it was a relationship with with someone that introduced just a little a little switch in communication, yes, that took you down a you know a, a completely broader path of possibility. 
And, and so, you know, in terms of next step, I, I just uh, would invite people to be curious and to pursue relationships with people who have been doing something um, for years or those, uh, somebody that they look up to, like take the risk of revealing a little bit more of yourself and becoming a little bit more vulnerable mm-hmm. with, with somebody that you trust and, um, and allow them to, to speak into you in yeah. terms of who, who they see you to be. Um, that's, I, I see so much hesitance and reluctance. Um, we're just a, we're, we're not a very trusting people these days. And I totally right. understand why. Um, but if we could just get ourselves to move a little bit more towards somebody and say, what do you see? What do you think? Is there a different form of language? Is there a way that I'm communicating? Is there a posture that you see about me that, um, that you have any word on or any advice on? Um, but that sense of curiosity, I mean, that, that's, that's, uh, that, that kind of bubbles up from this, the verbness of the divine. Mm. Uh, it would be something I would say, be, be curious. I love that. Thank you for being with us today on the podcast. This has been a wonderful conversation. If people want to learn more about you and the work that you're doing, where can they find you online? Um, online. That's on the internet. <laughs> um, computers. The computers. Uh, so we, we just recently have a new website or, or a refreshed website for network, and that's just networkcoffeehouse.org. Um, beyond that, shoot me an email or hit up Michael for, for a phone number. <laughs> uh, and what's your email? Accessryan at gmail. Okay, perfect. Ryan, thanks again. Loved having you here on the Changing Faith Podcast. Thank you, Michael. So good to be with you. And to all of our listeners, thank you again for joining with us. I look forward to our next episode in a couple of weeks. Until then, as always, much love and peace be with you.